0: Welcome to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, the official podcast home for all human design manifestors. I'm your host, Holly Marie, a 4 6 clinic manifester, a certified human design teacher, and a manifester who is following her own creative urge to facilitate a thriving global community of aligned, powerful manifestors. the world. The time is now. The journey is yours. This podcast is your home. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I am so, so excited to have you here for this episode because we are continuing on with our guest manifesto meetup series. But today we have a super special episode with not just one guest, but with two guests today, we are talking to two 4-1 manifestors, which is is rare and exceptional in a lot of different ways. Before I get into introducing these two wonderful beings, I just want to give you a very kind of quick overview, like a glossary of why having a 4-1 profile is really significant, because a lot of you might not be aware if you're not super far down the human design rabbit hole. So when we talk about a 4-1, a we're, of course, referring to a profile, the two numbers at the beginning of the description of your energy type. And the 4-1 is considered the rarest of all of the profiles because it's often referred to in a number of different ways, but most commonly I've heard it referred to as the bonus life. What we're talking about with the 4-1 profile being a bonus life is that it's the only profile archetype that does not have any karma. There's no karma attached. You might have heard that um, you have a personal karma or a transpersonal or interpersonal karma, right? So you are either working out karma on this personal level in your life or you are working out karma from relationships in your life. Having a 4-1 profile, if you are one of these magical beings that has a 4-1 profile, means that you have come here with no karma, no agenda, no agenda. There's no energetic pathway to to work out. So that's why it's known as the bonus life. Having a 4-1 profile really is referring to uh, the hexagram. It's kind of deeper details of human design. But in the hexagram, the 4 and the 1 together make this balance. So our 4-1 profile people are considered to be traditionally very energetically balanced. And they're here without without any karma, with nothing to work through. They're just here to experience life and experience the opportunities and whatever this incarnation is going to bring them. So the 4-1 profile on its own is very rare. We don't run into a lot of 4-1 profile people across any of the energy types. Of course, we know that manifestors are also rare. Manifestors are 9% of the population. So when we discover 4-1 manifestors, we are in a very, very rare type of a rare group. I like to refer to 4-1 Manifestors as unicorns because we just do not discover them. We just do not come across them a great deal or too often. And I'm very, very privileged as just a standard old 4-6 Manifestor over here to have two beautiful 4-1 Manifestors here in this Manifestor community. So I would love to introduce them to you on this podcast episode today, and we are just going to soak up all of their wisdom about being a 4-1, about the similarities across their journey and anything else that they would like to share with us. So introducing to you somebody that you may know from previous episodes, we have Tessa Hayward, who is a business, wait, did I get this correct? She's a, a strategy consultant. I think that I got that incorrect. I'll ask her again in a minute. And we also have Lena Mackey, who is a feminine embodiment coach. Hello, beautiful manifestors. Welcome.
1: Hello. Thanks for having us, Holly.
0: <laughs> Tessa, give us your title again. What are you? What's your specific <laughs> title?
2: <laughs> I messed up because I gave you a long title, but what are titles anyway? Um, what are they? But I, I usually say strategic growth consultant. That's the strategic closest match.
0: Growth consultant. There we go. We got it. Anybody who's needing a strategic growth consultant, Tessa is your gal. And Lena, I got absolutely correct, the feminine embodiment coach. So we are Mm -hmm. on board with that. Now, Tessa is for us. She is on the other side of the world. And Lena is right on my side of the world, but on the opposite side of the country to me. So still very, very far away. Um, But we have the beautiful joy of two Australian accents and a non-Australian accent on today's show. Ladies, I would love you to each introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you, and can you give us a little kind of like overview, a little synopsis of of how you fell into human design or how human design found you in your journey? Lena, would you like to kick us off?
1: Yeah, sure. So where do I start? I think I discovered human design maybe like it was actually four years ago. And I when I first ran my chart, I don't know what happened, but I thought I was a manifesting generator. So, and I like lived my life as a manifesting generator for sure. Like I didn't really take much notice of anything else except the energy type. And I was like, oh, I'm too busy doing other stuff. And then I'd heard people say, Oh, human design, like you don't need to know it. And so I believed that and just didn't really look further into it. And then I think. I was in a relationship and I did my human design chart again because I, I just, and then I turned out I'm a manifestor And I was like, okay, what does this mean? And when I started looking into it and reading into it, I was like, I don't want to be a manifestor. This is, I don't like closed aura, like repelling. Um, it explained a lot, but I was just really not, not interested. And then when I discovered, yeah, this work that you're doing, Holly, Um, I started to pay a bit more attention and more people were talking about human design and I was like okay so manifestors are rare I guess I've always felt a bit different and I liked being a bit unique so that spoke to me Um, and yeah I the the journey that was kind of co-currently going on with the feminine embodiment journey as well and as an emotional manifestor. I can see why I was attracted to that work so much because it just helped me regulate my emotions. Like I grew up always thinking I was an empath because I was, felt very highly sen- like sensitive all the time. And so this, yeah, feminine embodiment work really helped me to regulate my emotions. And um, yeah, I guess that's how I came across human design and learning how to be a manifesto.
0: I love it Tessa of course we we heard a bit about your human design journey in the solo episode that you did but for those people who may not have listened to that episode can you give us a bit of a rehash about you and you and human design how did you come together
2: yeah well I am a bit newer to it than than Lena so I discovered human design I I I don't even know if it's been a complete full year yet um but I came across it during the pandemic, dove in pretty deep, pretty quickly, a uh, very similar reaction that Lena covered. So initial period there of, oh my gosh, I'm a manifester, I'm not interested in learning more, lots of resistance to the, the closed and repelling words. But um, also similar to Lena, I definitely was more intrigued when I learned how unique Being a manifester was, and then even more so when I learned how unique being a 4 1 manifester is. Um, So, yeah, I've just been slowly learning and experimenting, and I think it's really taken off um, since I've started to experiment with consulting, um, which I also started to do during the pandemic. So, while keeping a full-time job. Um, I also started a business and started consulting and that just went really nicely along with learning human design at the same time. Mm. So, and of course, relationships, obviously,
0: <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> in, in understanding that 4 one profile, for both of you, did you initially get any sense that that was unusual or that that was different? Or did you both kind of receive it like, oh, okay, you know, those are my numbers, I'm a 4-1. Like what, what was that journey like in going from I'm a 4-1 manifester to, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm a 4-1 manifester, that's actually pretty unusual?
1: Um, you, you know, at first when I saw I was a 4-1, I was like, because I always had this sense that I was meant to be like speaking on stage and it wasn't from this ego place. Like it's hard to understand, but a lot of, you know, a lot of my thought pattern around that was like, oh, is this ego, you know, and I was just really torn between that. So I found out I was a 4-1, but it, at first I was a bit resistant actually, because I was like, oh, so I'm just meant to focus on my, my network. And that just felt really limiting. Um, But since I've really been working with that for one profile and in that way I've retrospectively looked back at my life and just seen how many of the great opportunities in my life really came from the connections that I have and you know the the one like having that one has been really great sorry um the one has been so great because I've always loved to learn like and just really allowing myself to dive into learning and becoming an expert. And then I've also noticed, as the one is in the unconscious, people tend to come to me for that that in-depth knowledge. And, you know, the four, like I always kind of felt this tie between, I always kind of saw myself more as an introvert, if you're gonna put it in introvert, extrovert terms, but I also, there would be times when I could be like the life of the party and I would just have the greatest time talking to people because all the chats that I was having were really in depth, like deep conversations with people and like that just energized me. But then I would get to a point in the night and within 20 minutes, I would like have to leave. (laughs) I would just like, I'm done. Like that's enough connection for one night. Like I need to, to go back and be by myself. Um, And I felt a bit uncomfortable about the idea of having no karma. I was like, what? Like, so does that mean, no, surely, like, I must have karma, you know? And because I was very in, like, in deep with Tantra and spiritual development and feminine embodiment, it was like we're almost conditioned to look for trauma, and so or conditioned to look or there's that whole kind of karma little thread in that world as well so when i kind of realized i didn't have any karma it made sense because i always saw other people they seemed so sure about their purpose and it was so connected to their identity and like their experience and i just couldn't quite bring what i was good at in those terms and i think it was because other people have karma and they know why they're here. They know that they're meant to be doing this stuff. Whereas as a 4-1, you just got all this freedom, which can sometimes be a little bit scary as well.
0: That's amazing. What about you, Tessa?
1: Yeah, she, she
2: hit on so many things for me there. Um, yeah, the amount of times I was asked in my life to work on a purpose statement or try and produce one I, I Like that alone, it was something I could never do and I could never understand why other people could do it and put action to that so easily and I never could. Um, but as far as figuring out or, or when did I realize it was rare or different? I don't, I mean, that, that took a while, but before I, I realized it was rare, I was quite confused by how the profile is defined so, like Lena, it is confusing to hear "no karma." Yes, so that was that was hard. Um, but secondly, I think what I really was hung up on at first, and and tried to get my head around, was the idea of a fixed fate. And the profile has been described as, you know, an oak tree that's that it can't be bent, it can't be changed. know you can burn it or tear it down or whatever but those with a fixed fate are destined to have the purpose that they're here to fulfill and i think that took me a while to digest and i sort of had to separate that from this term of bonus life like i don't really think bonus life means means very much i understand the concept of of no karma but I kind of threw away the definition of bonus life and started with, okay, fixed fate. I can get my head around that. And then, yeah, when I just looked at the four and the one separately, like Lena laid out so nicely, um, it was so resonant for me. So the four, yes, everything in my life has been through network (laughs) or about a network. Um, I absolutely resonate with the bridge concept. Like my entire life is about connecting people, bringing people together. I get so much joy from introducing somebody to somebody or somebody to a job or, Hey, have you heard about this? Or you have to meet this person. Like those sorts of moments have always been bright spots in my life. And when i when I learned I was this type, it all made sense retrospectively. Um, But then also to, to agree with Lena again. um, Yeah. Actually to disagree with Lena, I never considered myself (laughs) an introvert. I always thought I was an extrovert. I was raised in the performing arts. So, you know, I have a background on stage and I was trained as an actress and I had a a real identity so ingrained in that that you know when I read the description of you're an introvert I don't I don't mm, yeah yeah that's that was hard and and not not quite accurate for me but yeah it's confusing it's a confusing profile
0: yeah yeah
2: there's a lot packed into it that's for sure
0: to give to give listeners a a kind of a bit of a I guess, like a textbook context of this. With every profile, we're always talking about these two different numbers, right? And we're talking about the the conscious number being that first one and the unconscious number being the second one. What's really curious about the 4-1 profile is that when we glance at it, it looks quite polarizing, right? We have that conscious number being the four, which is known as the opportunist, right? It is the networker. Traditionally, it's It's like the real extrovert, like the person that is out there easily making relationships, easily making connections. Um, There is this discovery as a fellow conscious for one myself. There is this sort of reflective quality that you've both spoken about here of being able to look back at your life and say, oh, that's right. Everything that I've experienced and everything that I've received and everything that I've created has actually come from networking. It's actually come from relationships with people. And I didn't intentionally do that. It just showed up, right? There's always people around. And I do take great joy in connecting people together and, you know, and in building communities. So there is this sort of um, like real purity of extroversion in the line four. There's this experience for people around line fours of, wow, you really see me. You really get me, right? Because fours have this authentic way. Of connecting it's I just want to be in connection with you because I can be because I can see you because I can see your value and I can see your potential so the fours naturally kind of unlock that in everybody the one on the other hand is what we call the investigator so the one would classically be the introvert right where it's all about knowledge it's all about this kind of uh, desire to be saturated in knowledge and gain the depth of knowledge when we apply that to the manifest energy we see that usually line ones in manifestors will only go down rabbit holes that they're really curious about right it's like we can't treat line one manifestors like like nerds yeah it's it has to be i want this So I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to go down this pathway and I'm going to learn everything that I can. And that provides a sense of safety. That provides a a sense of expertise, really, that then wants to get shared with other people. So, you know, uh, people may have heard the term polarizing profile or even feel like I I would argue that everybody feels like they have a polarizing profile, right? Because we're always moving from conscious to unconscious. Um, But four ones on the outside really do have this immediate look of, oh, that's a really polarizing profile. That's like really two distinct personalities, very separate sitting in there. But I think when we get closer up and and we look at the four one profile through this idea of, you know, no karma and fixed fate or bonus life or, you know, whatever terminology we want to put on it, we can actually see that there's a balance to this and that there's Mm -hmm. a harmony to this. And I'm really curious about, you know, what was your experience for both of you of, I guess, like coming to terms with that 4-1 profile and, and the, the power of it, the concept of it? Were there any things that were particularly difficult for you to get over in, in aligning with being a 4-1?
1: I can speak on like when I first started my business, it was um, doing dating and relationship coaching. That was, yeah, two years ago now. And all the marketing strategies um, that it was all about increasing your followers, increasing the number of people on your email list, getting in front of as many people, and just by chance, they're going to be magnetized to you because you know, by um, ratio, like, you know, you've got 100, say 100 people in your group and 5% of people will engage with your content. That's kind of like that would, they were always the ballpark figures that people would say to me. But it was like when I look back, <laughs> most of the clients that I've worked with came through either people who come into contact with my energy in person or through a, um, through my network. And so that was really hard to kind of come to terms with because having an online business and finding these in-person interactions with people in a coaching capacity, quite draining. I was like, well, I don't know what to do now. You know, like I can't just run workshops all the time and then hope that that kind of funnels into my coaching. That would just be so draining. Um, And so yeah, so that was a big that was a big thing for me. Um, and coming to terms with having a fixed fate felt really constricting as well. Like the you know, and I can but I can see it in my life. You know, when I talk to other people, they're like, "Oh, well, this person changed my life." And it's not that I haven't been influenced by people. But like I always had, it's so interesting actually because one of the other, some of the other work that I do is around Aboriginal engagement and heritage consulting, which um, yeah, it looks because of all the mining that goes on in Australia, it's kind of working in that space with native title and land rights. Um, That's the easiest way to describe it. But the thread of that started when I was in primary school and we had, you know, um, learning about aboriginal history and i remember i wrote this poem about slavery and colonization i was only like 10 and then you know all through my life there's just been this like thread of that work you know and i've just attracted people who are interested in that too or attracted people who wanted to know stuff and people kind of knew me because i was interested in that and it was and like now i'm working in this space and i'm like it started all the way back there like and it doesn't matter who I met along the way but it just yeah it blows my mind actually so yeah that was kind of hard to come to terms with as well but since embracing it more it's just like it's allowed to be easy you know It's you're allowed to like I kind of also had this um just dropped in then like I didn't want I felt uncomfortable about like using my network to create opportunities for me I was like I don't want people to think that I'm using them to get business you know like that feels a bit weird like it felt easier if someone just came to me because of my energy you know and that's what people say and I guess they do but I just felt like yeah it just felt uncomfortable kind of creating a connection with someone and then on that shadow side, just being like, oh, maybe I'll work with them or, you know, maybe they'll be able to help me out in this way. Like it just, that didn't feel very good.
0: Yeah, for sure. Tessa, have you had the same experience around fixed faith?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just really feeling a strong (laughs) response to what Lena just said. Yeah, go for it. just about you pointing out that you never felt like you wanted to owe anyone anything that has been such a big thread for me that I've had to look at and, and learning this profile has helped me do that. Um, but same, same as you, um, you know, I, I think that I put more stock in all of my relationships than the average person might. Um,
1: It took. Mm,
2: yeah, <laughs> just what you just said about that is really big. Um, learning, but as a mm, just gonna pause there for a moment. <laughs>
0: Just gonna just gonna collect, process that through. I think, you know, to to provide some contrast on that too, as as a fellow conscious four, but as a four-six, I don't experience any of that shadow in utilizing my network, you know, for for my my own growth, for their growth, for the collective good, for anything. Um, I've always had a very uh I guess like a very happy place of ownership over that. That, you know, my experience has been as, as a pretty outright extrovert, I'm like extroversion line, extroversion line. I'm just every test in my life. I always came up as a straight out extrovert. And it, to me, that experience has always been, well, if people are going to come into my network and if people are going to come into my space and if people want to be in connection with me, then I'm going to leverage that. I'm going to use that. And I'm I'm not going to have any shame about doing it, I'm actually gonna treat it as an asset and I'm gonna treat it as a skill. So it's really curious for me to listen to other like four lines, but but on a different profile archetype, sharing a completely different experience of, of the way of utilizing that. And, um, you know, I wonder how much of that comes from the pull of the, the one line or how much of it comes from just, just that experience of being the four one, right? Are you feeling like you don't want to owe people anything because you're here to have this sort of free experience where where you're not entangled with other people and you're not entangled with all of these contracts? I'm really curious about your thoughts on that. Like, where does that come from? Why did you experience that?
2: Yeah. Also, I think it's really interesting too that we, this... Archetype is called, you know, we're the friendliest people, supposedly, which is kind of a huge contrast to what you first understand about being a manifester. So, but to your point, Holly, yeah, like the people in your network, the people who are in your life, they're the ones who have willingly jumped on your train and they want to be there and they want to be there for you. And so I think it's more just, coming to terms with the fact that the people who are your network are there and they are there for you to utilize, which isn't a negative thing, you know, because the other side of that is I feel like when people, and I won't speak for Lena, but when, when people get something positive from having me in their life, that's always a huge win for me. I love to see that, you know, I love to see the fruit of these connections and, and how people grow and, better their lives because of us being in them but I think it yeah it's 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 just getting used to being able to accept that people who are here are here for a reason and like we we can use them in that way and it's not using them it's it's just that's how we're built I mean
1: I think it's yeah yeah yeah, I think um, it's a few It's a few things that, yeah. It's, so sometimes I feel like because of that one, it's like, oh, I don't know enough yet to put myself out there. You know, I don't know enough to then say to this person, um, hey, I'm doing this. Do you know anyone who would be interested in this? So there's that pull of the one that's like, oh, I need to know more, you know, and that kind of the shadow that can come with that. Um and then, yeah, there was, oh, there was another point that I wanted to make that just slipped my mind. So. Um.
2: It brings up a lot of people-pleasing tendencies too.
1: Oh, no, that, that's what I wanted to say. So it's so <laughs> interwoven with the, the experience of being a manifestor. So, you know, what Tessa said, I had this perception that I was very warm and inviting and welcoming. But when I started deconditioning journey around you know, I actually, (laughs) I realized a lot of that was from people pleasing, that people had that perception of me. And actually, you know, there would be equally the, the amount of people that I would meet who would just be so like closed off. And so like, who are you like, not liking what I was about at all. And before I started, you know, this journey of on human design and feminine embodiment, I used to take it so personally. And so there was also that fear of like, opening up to my network and almost being that, that sense of vulnerability felt really hard to just say, hey, like, you know, I'm doing this work. Do you know anyone who would be interested or do you have anyone who I could talk to about it? Like that still feels a little bit um, edgy for me as well. And it's not so much about owing people, but it's like that, that vulnerability of letting people in behind your closed aura. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, me too. Because the first thing we sort of understand about human desire, the first thing I understood was, okay, I'm a manifestor. So I am meant to be extremely independent and not need anybody for anything. And then I was introduced to this profile and I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm a manifestor living in my own bubble, but my network and my people are everything. So how do I, how does one work with the other? And, um, what I loved learning about the Four One, which felt like a huge permission for me, is that we're built to have benefactors. like we are built to have people in our life that are there to support us. and for I mean for me that that was really. It felt like a huge permission, but I I have to actually start implementing that in my life because I wasn't raised that way. And I have never lived my life that way. You know, like growing up, I was told, if you want to go to college, you better figure it out. Like if you, you know, like if you want to go somewhere, do it on your own. Like don't ask people for anything. And if you do, then you're probably gonna feel like you owe them something. So yeah, I think that's what I was getting at, is it was really learning that we do have that permission to ask people for things and we repay them with with love and success and really interesting things so like our benefactors are kind of the vips of our network and like i guess i just have to start being okay with putting those people in the vip seat and saying like you know i need you I need you to do this for me or demand things in a way that feels empowered. But like, which actually is sounds quite manifestory if you ask me. So (laughs) sorry, there's sirens. Oh, that's fine. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I, you know, I think that that brings up a really interesting point too, about um, some, sometimes this kind of, uh, I want to say complexity, but there's another word to it. There's always this shade experienced with, with being a manifester in particular, right? I think that everybody in, in human design, everybody in the collective experiences these um, seemingly opposing parts of their chart. But often I think that, in, in my experience, manifestors can experience that on a quite intense level because we have this really, really unique experience of the closed aura and that closed energy. And um, although it's represented really kind of like easily, like oh, manifestors just have a closed and repelling aura so they can initiate, that's actually outside of our control. So sometimes we can have this experience of like, well, I'm a a human living in this closed energy that either magnetizes people or repels people. And I, I don't, I have no way of of changing any of that it just happens outside of me but i think that it for us particularly if we have like a 4 5 or a 6 in our profile we have this desire for engagement with people we actually want to be right in engagement and in connection and and utilizing these really important experiences with people but that can feel like direct opposition to our manifester energy right so I know that in my experience, you know, even I've come a lot more to terms with it now, but even looking at a couple of the key areas in my chart, like, um, you know, I'm a four, six manifestor. I'm a very extroverted, very engaged, very responsive manifestor, but I don't have unlimited potential to respond because I'm not sacral. I'm not a generator. I'm not an MG. And so sometimes I can cross that threshold without even knowing that I've done it. And then I'm just angry at having to respond to people all of the time. Um, additionally, you know, I'm a quad left manifesto, kind of going into a different area. That's very unusual and it's very rare. It means I'm very structural. I'm very strategic. I'm organized. I'm routined. I'm planned. I take action steps. That's opposite to the manifesto energy. Complete. It's, it's kind of like this stark masculine to stark feminine. Like I have to go in this experience of like, well the creative urge just comes when it comes and it is what it is and I'll just be here to respond to it whereas the rest of my energy is saying let's get this shit on board we need to put this in a plan like where (laughs) is the schedule (laughs) right and I you know I I wonder for either of you have either of you had that experience with the profile or other parts of your chart have you felt like there's this kind of friction between being a manifester and, and these other energies that you have
2: I mean, they call the four ones are also called the hermaphrodite. Lena, I don't know if you've heard that term, but I've—I've I've never it heard described that. But that's as, so good. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's I've heard it described that way because, like, like you said, Holly. You know, interpersonal is, I think, the yin, and and transpersonal is the yang, and and here we are with the bridge, and so we're not a this or that um, were some, I don't know, alien version of hermaphrodite, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, when I heard that, it's kind of like hearing that, similar to finding out that you're a manifester and that you have impact no matter what you do without trying, when you're a 4-1, we're a bridge, no matter what. Like, we don't have to do anything to serve our purpose you know, our fate is fixed. Yeah. But also like, how weird is it to think that the bridges that are bridged because of us just being in people's lives or, or doing what we're going to do just happen, which is really interesting to kind of start to take note. Like when you, when you kind of look at it that way, you can sort of see it like in the really, I don't know, like, what's a funny way of looking at that? It's literally like, we're meant to be like the woman before, like, you know, you spend time with us and then you go off and you live your, your life that's meant to be, or, or like, you know, we work with clients, so they, they spend time with us and, and without us really doing anything or, or not even really noticing their work with us bridges them to where they're supposed to get. So um, yeah, it's been cool to be able to, to compare the impact of being a manifester with the the bridge factor of being a four one and understanding that we can't do anything. It's just going to happen no matter what, as long as we're living correctly.
0: Mm. What about you, Lena?
1: Yeah, I found, um, so it just, yeah, that hermaphrodite, I actually got tingles all over my body because yeah, like especially being in this feminine embodiment world, like, we're always talking about masculine and feminine energies and you know how everyone has both but i notice it particularly in my relationships this like there's this desire to be in my feminine and to be really um, responsive and like fluid and but then as a manifester i'm actually quite closed and i'm always initiating people you know and so like and because it's closed people it's like to me it's obvious that i i have that that kind of energy but then other people describe me as like quite mysterious like oh there's like this mysteriousness about you and I'm like well how much of my energy how much of that is actually what's attracting people rather than the feminine side so that's been something that I've been just exploring recently um but yeah I found especially being a 4-1 I just manifest you know when you get a creative urge you just want to create it now you know but then you find out oh but I'm an emotional manifestor, so now I have to wait for my wave and it feels like if I have to now wait for someone else to introduce me to someone to make this happen like I just can't like I can't wait you know and that just annoys me partly because I'm just like far out can I just initiate by myself you know in being in that one as well like just wanting to learn all the knowledge put something out there and then it just happens rather than um, waiting for the connection or like waiting for someone else, waiting for my emotional wave. Like it's, But I guess that's how we get that real sense of calm in our profile as well, because we do have this extra kind of patience that maybe, you know, other manifestors maybe don't, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I think on that mysterious front, like as an outside observer, to be the non-four-one in the virtual room, you guys are mysterious. Like you both have this real kind of—I even struggled to describe it. Right? From for me, <laughs> like spending time with four-ones is like I feel really grounded, down to this like slower pace of energy that's very deep. But I have no idea how that is happening <laughs> because I'm like, but no, no, I go at this speed. Like I go quite fast, you know, I'm, I'm quite quick paced, but um, having had the privilege of being able to spend time with both of you separately and, and now both of you together, there there is a mystery. There is this kind of like depth and grounding and harmony and balance to your energy, which is is very mind boggling, even in this conversation. I mean, I'm sitting here with my, my brain is going, yes, but how? Where are these dots connecting? How does this occur? Why does it, what's the answer, right? Um, and has that, have people reflected that to you? I know, Lena, you said that some people tell you you're mysterious. Tessa, have you had that as well?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Lena. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> my, my entire life. You're so secretive. I have no idea what you're ever doing. You never tell me what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But I, unlike you, I, I, my New Year's resolution for three years running was to be more patient and I never made it. I never hit it. I just kept challenging myself and then eventually I gave up because I feel like <laughs> impatience is one of my biggest struggles. So interesting to hear that you feel like through that, through your learning, you've been able to, um, become more patient and wait. Cause I think I took the permission of finding out I was a manifester to, to feel like I never had to wait other than of course, through our emotional wave. But I think I overtook the permission of you're supposed to initiate and you're supposed to connect people and go, go, go. And just took that as permission to, okay, well you, you, don't need to waste your time trying to be patient it's that's not you
1: mm, yeah that's really that's really interesting that you say that as well because it's just I think we talked about it when we caught up on zoom that time but there is so much like depth and you know even though I'm behind this closed aura I'm always thinking about community I'm always thinking about other people and how I can you know support them and how I can help them and this manner like this journey of being a manifesto is really Help me to direct some of that energy more towards me and see how powerful being a manifester is. But I was just thinking then, like just this, this conflict between like, so a lot of the spaces that I've worked before have been really community settings, working in government, having to work with other people. And I think that's also influenced my journey because I know that unless you're gonna bring people along the journey, then you can't really create systemic change. You can't really do anything big because you by yourself. Yeah, but then it's like, how do you use your manifesto energy in that space? It's like, that's a really, such a sacred, powerful thing. I'm just thinking about it now, like in the context of the heritage work that I do, like anything that you're doing in Aboriginal affairs takes a long time. It just does. And you have to have that, that patience because, yeah, there's just so much going on. But then as a manifesto, you could really, yeah, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but using that initiation energy to initiate other people around you, you can sometimes initiate people to go a bit faster as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a big chunk of the manifesto energy, right? It's For me, there was a a big mind switch between understanding that, um, you know, my role was about initiating things to understanding that no, I initiate things because my energy is the initiator energy. So as manifestors, we are always initiating, always commencing. Right? We are we're always like that. Um, you know, the gun at the starting line. Like we are that big push, and it and it can be shocking. It can be really challenging and really confronting to people. I think that there are ways that we can learn to do it more gently. And more lovingly. Um, But I also think that we turn it on ourselves, right? We get this, like Tessa touched on, we kind of get this extremism where we say like, well, if I'm able to initiate, then I should always be initiating myself. Finding, you know, a community of manifestors has been the greatest experience of seeing these huge volumes of people who are so committed to self-awareness and so committed to self-growth because we are always like, well, there's something there. I've got, I've got to initiate that. and I've I've got to get into this and and what's going on. We can't, I think we get into this propensity where we don't, um, we, we no longer sit still. Right. And that, I mean, that could go into the whole question about rest cycles and how it impacts that, but there's real value in understanding that lesson that, we have all different ways of initiating, but when, when we just bring it all back down to the core of, of what it is, we're initiating without even trying. Everyone who's ever coming anywhere near you is being initiated by you, right? That's, that's empowering as a manifester. I think when we can come on board with that understanding.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think when, when you do try and move a group of people or, or a community, and, and I've kind of been in, in similar situations as Zelina in working for nonprofits and the arts back in the day. But yeah, I think when I come to a room of people with the intention of, of getting something done with the help of other people, I usually just try and approach it from what I now know is you're always going to have a ton of really good ideas. You're going to pull a couple of them out. You're going to put them out for other people to get on board with, but then you have to let other people finish those ideas and get stuff done. Like, Mm. you know, to Holly's point, like, yeah, we're here to initiate, but we're not here necessarily to finish every idea that we drop into the world. And with the addition of the four, one profile, you know, we can really look to the people around us to step up and take our brilliant ideas and go do something with them. And then we can step back and go back into our investigative nature and learn something new and get another brilliant idea and bring it to a different group of people and let them do that. And like, you know, instead of, being frustrated when the people that we thought might be into our idea and want to take it somewhere. Don't at least I, I think I'm starting to learn to reframe like the right people will come along to take the right idea at the right time. And I don't have to worry about making sure it's perfect. I don't know if that resonates.
0: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I totally agree that, um, we always have a sense, I think, of wanting to initiate and, and create these things on a big scope, yeah, that it's like I, I can birth this amazing thing and it can have this big impact, but we're not actually responsible for, for growing it. We're just responsible for birthing it. So certainly in my experience, I've had a number of times when I think something could be phenomenal, something could be so huge. And then I, you know, like get it out there and I give it to people and they take it for a little bit and it fizzles out. And I feel like I just gave so much to bring this to you and to let it go and let you have it. And then you really didn't do anything with it. And, you know, I I think over time that that's taught me that um, we can really, that, the size and the scale of the things that we initiate are really driven by how ready people are to respond to that. And that's the part of this manifesto journey that we just don't know. We really don't know how, how willing, how ready, how able people are to respond to what we're initiating. Um, And that doesn't make it wrong. It's, it's just part of this cadence of being part of the whole collective. Yeah. That sometimes, sometimes we're, we're bigger than what they're ready for.
1: Yeah, and I've noticed in in my journey, like even before I found out I was a manifesto, people would say, oh, I remember when you said this to me and, you know, I decided to do this with it. And I was like, I don't even remember saying that. And sometimes it's like people and other times it's like, oh, I still remember that thing you said to me three years ago when we were at that cafe. And I was like, what thing? And they were like, yeah, that had a huge impact on my life. So looking back on moments like that has been really interesting, like just on a side note really small, like ways that we can initiate people are just, it's really fun. It's really mm-hmm. fun to to see that.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the two of you, did you meet through the manifesto Facebook group? Was that how you came across each other? Or did you know each other prior to that? No, you're nodding at me. Okay. Which is like very foreline. That gives me a lot of joy as a fellow for line, And I'm like, oh, the network of people, they found each other and now they're friends and now they have this value. Um, and the two of you spent time, I think Lena, you referred to it before, the two of you caught up on a Zoom call. Is that right? And, and had this kind of like comparison of your charts.
2: <laughs> we can investigated
0: you, each other. Yeah, you investigated. <laughs> can you can you tell me about that? What did you what did you initially discover? Were there a lot of similarities between the two of you that that you didn't expect?
1: You go, Tessa. You want
2: me to go first? <laughs> okay. Well, yes, to answer your question, um, we found each other through your group. I think, I think I posted something maybe lena commented i don't know but we figured out that we were we were both this type so we organized a zoom just to chat and um yeah i mean for me i think i walked away from that and i was just on a high for for a while um i felt like we had really similar mannerisms and i think if someone had been maybe listening to our conversation they would have been like wow that was a lot of like awkward, but deep silences. But within those silences, we both kind of knew what we were thinking. Um, And yeah, I really resonated with our sort of similar life paths. Like, you know, I, at that time was just really starting to experiment with my consulting and, and Lena was able to share her journey of, of doing that. And yeah, I think a lot of our there were for sure similarities in our personality and mannerisms and life story and career choice. I think among other things from what we could tell in what an hour, <laughs> it lasted a while. It was fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. We spoke for a while. It went really quick, but I felt the same afterwards. I was on a high of just like, there was so much. Yeah. There was a few silences, but the, they weren't awkward. It was just like, hmm, yeah, we we're both just like calm and digesting stuff. Um, And yeah, Tessa was able to reflect a lot about being a manifester in relationships, which is really good. And we both had this thing where we grew up as people pleasers, you know, because people, as virtue of being manifestors, like we always thought that we're, you know, kind and welcoming and warm and inviting. And yeah, when people get to know us behind the closed door, that's exactly what we are. But on the surface, there was this people-pleasing tendency like shell almost because people would get triggered and we wouldn't know why and they you know maybe be jealous um and I also felt like we both had these quite big but grounded dreams about the impact that we wanted to make in the world it was like very clear you know but nothing it didn't define us it wasn't like this ego thing it was just you know just was who we were Mm. Um, and yeah, we talked a lot about how it was easy, like the, yeah, the consulting as well. And that desire to kind of just initiate people at the beginning and then let them finish the work. So you write, do some, you know, conversation stuff, and then you write a report and that outlines the next steps, but you don't have to be part of that. That both felt really good. Good Yeah. The
2: the short-term relationships Mm -hmm. feel really good. And do you remember too, Lena told me that, and I walked away and I told so many people this, I was like, oh, the most woke girl, her relationship is doing really well because they both decided consciously to move out of house. (laughs) like they had been living (laughs) together and they were like, you know what, for the benefit of our relationship, we're going to move away from each other. And I don't know if you've moved back with each other since, but I walked away from that too. And I was like, "Mm, that girl is living her power. She is doing what feels right, no matter what society says. And yes, uh, what you said about, we just had, like it was sort of this palpable knowing of what we're meant to do in this life. I think that comes back to the, f- the fixed fate. Like you can't really describe it, but I think we share, like, I can't even describe it even to you two. It's like, I have this knowing in me without being able to describe what it is that I, I know I'm on a path towards my purpose. And it's always, it's always kind of just there, you know? And I don't know if it's this sense of like, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to bother to explain it to anyone, but Maybe that's what you you were referring to there, Lena. That's
1: exactly what I mean. That is exactly <laughs> like the words. It's just, it's hard to describe. It's just there. It's just, you know, and finding that out, that fixed fate has been such a huge permission slip to rest. You know, like mm-hmm. yesterday, for example, I had an important meeting in the morning, again, with someone meeting through my networks to find work. <laughs> and then I was like, well, there are things that I could do, but like, it's all kind of happened already, you know, it's in the works. Like I don't have to do anything now because I've already initiated that, that connection and it's just going to happen. So it's been, that's such a permission slip to have that fixed fate. Yeah. But on the other side, it can seem like, you know, cause we're so conditioned to have to like work hard and stuff like that, you know, we can get caught in that little rabbit hole as well. So.
2: Yeah. The word knowings was always something that I used throughout my life before I even knew what that meant. Like, and, and I, I had people my whole life tell me or reflect back to me that I have, I come across, I have, might have psychic abilities, whatever, you know, I've, I've worked with mediums before that have told me you're very intuitive. You may want to look into psychic abilities, et cetera, But I think what that is, I think what people pick up on is we do have those, those inner knowings. And I think we're just very confident about them and that, that confidence, I mean, I think it resonates from me for sure. Like people can pick up on that. Like I just, I know certain things about my life with such certainty that I I can't explain. And I don't know if, I mean, maybe that is some level of, of psychic ability, um, but I've heard it described as, as that in my life. I don't. Has anyone ever told you that? Have you ever have you ever been told yeah. that you're psychic, Lena? <laughs> yeah,
1: I've been told that I'm psychic, but I don't know, I, it, that word doesn't really resonate with me personally. Me neither. And, and having a closed head, well, anyway, it doesn't really yeah. resonate, but that whole knowing, like sometimes I'll get this intuitive hit and I'll just be like, that person needs to know this person you know and mm-hmm. like, oh mm-hmm. I can I can sense that there's this thing that wants to be created you mm-hmm. know and maybe that's my initiation energy that is like I might be talking with someone and I get this urge to tell them hey have you thought about creating this workshop or have you thought about doing this before
2: I don't know yeah. I
1: need to go back and just see people actually did take that on board but then yeah it's that whole not being attached to whether they do or don't
2: yeah yeah I send a lot of follow-up links to almost every conversation I have of okay this is the person I told you to reach out to and and this is the company you need to look up and read this article and meet this person like I can't think of an important conversation in my life that didn't have even with you like, I think after we got off the phone, I was like, oh, she needs to meet this person. And you know, when I'm in Australia, I'm going to introduce her to this person. Yeah. Like, like, it just, it goes automatically. It just happens. Yeah. You know? It almost feels to me like that, you know,
0: knowing that you're both speaking about has this connection to that bridging capacity that 4-1 profiles have. Like, you really are taking people and things and energies from this this one place to another place. And you have to know, where you're walking at, at least blindly right at least intuitively um and and perhaps there is no real label for that mm. you know perhaps like psychic i guess maybe is the closest contemporary label that we've got for that um and sometimes we like socially we struggle with the things that we don't know how to label just uh, gets like too overwhelming and too yeah. mysterious, but I I love it. I find it really intriguing and really curious to listen to you both speak about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. For intuitive the intuitive hit, sounds right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's be loose with it, right? It's just it's a ping. It's a thing. It's just mm-hmm. a knowing. In terms of in terms of the fixed fate, have either of you ever felt like that? That has created conflict with the manifester energy in you you know like this sense is a manifesto that we always want to be outside the box we're always like life is a great mystery I don't know where I'm going I don't know what is coming through me next I don't know where I could end up that on the surface seems like it's really opposing to the fixed fate have either of you felt a struggle between those two things or is or is there actually like a sense of grounding and comfort in that fixed fate
1: I can go. I have felt a lot of conflict even recently with that because um, working, you know, before I started my business, I was working for government and it was like there was elements of that that I was really passionate about and really interested in like systemic change and systems theory and looking at things from that like theoretical investigator level, like getting down into the details and stuff. But then I was like, I don't want to work for someone and working in that bureaucratic system was really like just not in alignment with being a manifesto. And so, but I didn't, you know, and so I thought, well, coaching seems fun and it seems like, you know, easeful and blah, blah, blah and all that stuff. And like, you know, and I've done that for a while and I'm starting to feel like that might eventually just transition into more consulting stuff and it's not that I don't like coaching and seeing the transformation but it's just not in full alignment and so I've felt this struggle between that fixed fate because it's like oh here it is again this stuff with Aboriginal affairs and heritage is coming up again like there's clearly something here but I'm like feel this really strong desire to also have a business that is like very um, feminine and also like flowing and you know, bringing a lot of those spiritual aspects into it as well, not just separating, you know, my spiritual practice from my business, but having them really closely interwoven. And I haven't seen that before, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm here to do unusual things. So maybe they'll merge in the middle somewhere. Um, So I have felt that conflict between the fixed fate because even though, but it's funny now that you mentioned like, when I tune into it, it does feel really grounding. It does feel really like, whoo, like that just feels true. But then there's this head conflict that is like, oh, but this is how you do business. Like, you know, in the 21st century, blah, blah, blah. Like that's kind of old school ways. so, yeah, that's, it resonated when you said that for sure. What about you, Tessa? Yeah.
2: yeah, I definitely feel I feel that conflict, but I know it's just, it's just my conditioning and it's, it's kind of what I was talking about in the very beginning of this idea of purpose and purpose statement and what we're supposed to do in life to reach our purpose and create it. And like the conflict for me was, okay, I'm a manifestor. So I'm in charge of my own life and I have to initiate what I want, but I have this, supposedly fixed path. So immediately that was, you know, well, what does that, does that mean that no matter what I do, I'm gonna end up in the same place, no matter what? Well, then what's what's the point? Like, then I don't have to do anything. Like, what's the point of trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do in life or what makes me happy or, or whatever. But, um, you know, someone reminded me today of why is projector? Shocker.
0: <laughs> we need um, them.
2: <laughs> gotta love them. Lena and I also share the benefit of wise projectors in our life. But um, I was reminded today that it, it it's actually, you know, it comes down to my decision making and what human design is teaching me is how to make correct decisions for myself. And And in doing that, that's how I'll follow the path and, you know, have this fate unfold as it's supposed to. Uh, so I'm just trying to trust that and then but it, yeah I have so much conditioning that has come up around it and and I I don't know how to let go of feeling like I have to control my life especially being a manifester and like I have such control issues of well what if I feel like I'm, I'm behind in my, what I thought was my perfect life timeline or, okay, well, I'm not in my perfect job yet. So what am I supposed to do to fix this or, you know, find this bonus life, whatever that means, or find this, like, you know, surely if I'm not happy, then I'm not on my fixed bonus life path and what do I have to do or fix to get there? But that's, that's just conditioning um, coming up for me. But, oh yeah, those voices are there and, and I struggle with that. I struggle to just surrender and, and trust that as long as I'm making decisions correctly, using my strategy and my authority, then this fate is a bonus. And I don't have to worry about anything and I will get where I'm going. And hopefully have a, an amazing life doing that. Mm.
0: I love, I love, I love that you mention authority in there as well. And, and that's probably one of the most frequent questions that I, I get from manifestors is this, this sense of, you know, well, I'm here to do big things. And I and that's very magnetic. Kind of we all have this pool. It's this current that drives us that says like that I came here for something and it's it's big and I don't want it to be small. And even though that terrifies me, you know, I don't want to be mediocre and I don't want to be small and I don't <laughs> want to miss out right on whatever this mm-hmm. grand thing is that I came here to do. But how how do I get there? How do, I, how do I make sure that, that that manifests? And do I just need to say it out loud? And, you know, we ask all of these questions like, what if I try this? And what if I try that? And what if I try this? And my answer is always, well, how, how are you going with your inner authority? Have you got that nailed? <laughs> because there's very good reason why in human design, the whole human design community says, start with strategy and authority. Start with strategy and authority. Hey, have you started with strategy and authority? Because if you haven't really learned to utilize strategically utilize the energy that you've got you know for manifestors really our strategy is initiating our our technique is informing and that really helps us to initiate Um, and our authority can be either the emotional authority the splenic or the ego and what's really cool about authority is that Authority is actually governed by your magnetic monopole, which is in your G center, okay? So a magnetic monopole is like this big, 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 strong magnet, a one-way magnet that connects your human life to your soul. And if we consider that your soul always knows where it's going, right? Your soul didn't forget. It's just your human you forgot when you got here. Yeah, the soul is, is good. She's on board. She knows what's going on. So we need this magnetic monopole connection back to our soul to say, yeah, this step, that's the right direction. And if you go this step, that's the right direction. And so when our inner authorities are making these decisions, it's actually because our magnetic monopole is in conversation with our soul and it's saying, yes, this is the right way to get where we are meant to be going or no, that's not the right direction. So quite literally, any time you are making a decision with your inner authority, you are operating in alignment every single decision from your inner authority is moving you towards the direction of fulfillment whether it's a yes or it's a no and it is this kind of cumulative effect of okay well if I make this decision and it's a yes and I move in this direction and then next time I do the same and next time I do the same and next time I do the same and we kind of can wake up in these experiences of, oh my gosh like I've I'm, I'm actually doing it like I'm, I'm, I'm actually here, and you know, even before this call, it was so beautiful, Tessa, that you said, like, I want your life, Holly. Like, uh, give me your life, you know, in my own version, but give it to me, and that's so wild for me to hear, because all I've been doing for like two years in the human design journey is just make the next right step. Right? as a splenic authority, I'm always like, well, what did the spleen say? just trust the damn screen and, and over time it does, it inches you kind of forward and forward and forward and forward to these things. And I think that there's always this kind of moving goalpost of like I just damn well hope that by the end of my life I'm going to have this experience personally where I go, oh, I made it, <laughs> I did it. Like I actually did the thing that I came here to do because for right now it's still, it's still growing and it's still unfolding and I'm still trying to understand it. But, um, you know, I know you're both emotional authorities, right? that's a very, very different authority experience from being a splenic manifester, right? Like I move fast and it's kind of illogical and ambiguous and and weird. Um, And emotional authorities, you move slower. You got to wait. It's kind of this pull on the other side. Is there, is that, because a vast majority of manifestors are emotional, right? Is there any advice that you would both give as emotional authorities to other emotional manifestors in that, in utilizing that authority?
1: I can go um so that's exactly what I do as a feminine embodiment coach really and before (laughs) I found out that I was a manifester, like I realized I kind of nailed the emotional authority side because before I was doing feminine embodiment before I was like so comfortable with expressing my emotions I was so stuck all the time with decisions so stuck and then when I found out like learning from you Holly what exactly my emotional wave is and I think we both have the 1222 channel Tessa is like that's the tribal wave and then realizing <laughs> congratulations
0: how- <laughs> guys you both have the most intense wave yeah <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and realizing <laughs> I mean- how intense it was I was like oh okay and then someone someone said something to me about emotional waves and was like, you're always in an emotional wave like it literally doesn't matter what's going on in your life like because i was thinking oh well i have to go through an emotional wave just around this decision but actually it's like you're in an emotional wave all the time and what this looks like is like so one day you'll be so joyful you'll be walking down the street you'll be like looking in nature and just being like oh my god i'm in love with life and there's like this oh like amazingness And then you know, a couple of hours later, or even 30 minutes later, you'll be like, Oh my God, I'm so heartbroken. I'm so tired. I'm so this, or you might even put on a movie and then the movie's really sad and that's initiating you through this constant emotional wave. And so, yeah, for me, it's just like, allow the emotions to be there. They don't have to make sense. And actually when you are an emotional authority, it's, you don't want them to make sense because you're always in a wave. And the more you try and work out what they are, the more stuck you'll feel. And it's like, just trust that you will come to the decision in the perfect time. That's what I would say to emotional manifestors.
0: So good. Any advice from you, Tessa?
2: All of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes
0: to that wisdom. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. There is no truth in the now for us. Uh, But yeah, that, that 2212 is, is really, really cool. Um, It's a direct line between the emotional center and, and the throat. And so as, as crazy and intense as our wave is, having that channel allows us to use that to create and, and bring life, especially to art and, You know emotional like they say that's the channel of poets and and artists and and painters and that makes a ton of sense um it's also it it i've been told that it 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 also has a propensity to leave us in states of melancholy that are meant to end with beautiful things being produced and i definitely resonate with that but i think my biggest advice about being an emotional, oh boy. Um, (laughs) I mean, there is no truth in the now, but my biggest advice would have to be to just start using emotional words. In my life, I never did. I still am not very good at it. I say I know way more than I say I feel. And I have to remind myself to say, I feel X, Y, Z and just notice and, and tell people what that actually is for me, whether or not it makes sense. Cause what I think is so interesting and crazy about being an emotional authority is that the emotions don't necessarily happen for any reason. They can just hit us. Like we can wake up in a a state that feels like we're madly in love. We can wake up devastated about nothing Um, and then of course you know we have very we have things happen in our lives that cause emotions that we can pinpoint and like it's not like our emotions aren't attached to events and people and moments in our lives but I think the biggest advice would be to just notice and literally put words to that um, which I say and I'm giving myself advice because it's really hard. I don't like to share my emotions and I don't like to say, I feel this and I don't really externalize my emotions very much at all. So Mm.
0: using the language around it is, is such a good tip. And, um, as a mother to two emotional authorities, um, you know, and my husband and I are both splenic. So we, we really don't get it. We really don't understand the whole emotional wave. And, um, we also really understand that we're amplifying all of the emotions of our poor too little emotional authority kids. <laughs> They're always feeling everything on on you know one hundred fold on the the megaphone. Um, you know, but I, I, I think it's important for me as a mother and for any other mothers out there listening that might have emotional authority kids, help teach your kids to use language around those emotions and to just be accepting of them as they are. You know, Tess' is right, There's emotional authorities don't have a correlation to anything that's going on sometimes you do but but most often it's illogical you're just feeling an emotion on a wave because it's just there it doesn't have to be connected with what's going on in your life um even yesterday afternoon my my eldest he's 12 and he's a tribal wave emotional projector poor little guy and um you know he was he was sitting down at dinner and he was just kind of slumped And he was having trouble answering questions. And I was trying to say, you know, like, get your stuff ready for school tomorrow. And he was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll do it. You know, he's trying to be really compliant as a projector. And I said, what are you you feeling at the moment, mate? And he said, I just feel like everything is over.
2: Everything
0: (laughs) is just hard. And I don't even want to try. Like, I just want to give up on all of it. I said, is that from anything specific? Did anything happen? He was like, no, I just just feel like this. And I was like, buddy, do you think that maybe you're on just the end part of your wave? You know, like this is just kind of what happens at the end of the wave. Like this is the dip off. And he was like, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and and this morning he was back to like happy chipper like chatty we call him chatty kathy like chatting away happy with life so it's really curious to observe that stuff from the outside you know and just see like it's all consuming
1: and it's really
0: intense and it really doesn't make sense and um i would hope that emotional authorities especially as adults can can work towards giving yourself just space and and love to do that you know, you don't need to squash that down um, or explain it. It just.
2: It feels so good when people ask us questions like that, though. Yeah. Or like when they start to recognize your wave, it's kind of like when people know your cycle. It's like, this is great. <laughs> like when people can ask you and be like, are you on the bottom of your wave? Or if like you don't think that you're you're putting that out there and you get around someone who's not emotional and they're they're all of a sudden like fuming, angry, and they know to ask you, are you feeling like a little bit angry? Because I'm feeling crazy angry, and you can be like, Yeah, I, I guess. And then you look inside yourself, and you, Yeah, okay, I'm a little bit angry.
0: There it is, that emotion. Yeah, I was carrying mm-hmm. it around the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really, there's, there's a beautiful symmetry, I think, to, to emotional authorities and non-emotional people when we can capture that. Right, we really yeah. can work together. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I would, I would love to know if if you have any advice or any wisdom or anything to share with potentially other four ones that are listening. I know that they're, they're unicorns. They are rare. We were saying before the call that we've just had another four one join the manifesto Facebook group, which is crazy. Like people are just coming out of the woodwork, you manifesto unicorns. Um, Is there anything that you would like to share with four ones that might be
2: listening along?
1: You go first, Lena. <laughs> um, okay. So the biggest thing as a 4-1 specifically, use your network. Use your network. And this, this podcast has been super healing for me as well to just like bring that home. Like you are doing people a favor when you, when you use, that, use that and people want to. You know, the people in your inner circle and the VIPs, as Tessa said, they, they want to help you. Um, and, yeah, allow your, allow yourself to rest in that knowing that your purpose is fixed and that you're, you know, and that you literally just have to follow your strategy and authority and everything is happening in the background to create that. You don't need to take as much action as you have been conditioned to believe that you have to take.
0: Mm. So sort of good. Tessa, anything from you?
2: Well, amen to all of that. Totally agree. It's beautiful advice. Also, I would add to not forget about the one. It's really easy for us to, or for me, for me, then the networking, the connections, the, the community, the hum, human part is very easy, pretty easy for me to keep in action. But I, I do have to remind myself to going in and investigating and spending time building knowledge and becoming an expert on the things that I love and that I'm actually really passionate about and that I'm not pretending to be passionate about or that I'm not told that I need to become knowledgeable about. So I would add that, add the one. And then, yeah, I mean, love connecting people and seeing what comes of the connections you can make and building your network and also keeping your network tight and not feeling bad about cutting people out of it when they're no longer serving you or when your relationship is exhausted and pay attention to your people pleasing for sure.
0: Yeah. Good advice for all manifestors.
2: <laughs> right?
0: yeah. like, let's all heal that now, shall we? <laughs> I think uh, it's time that we stop people pleasing as manifestors. Yes. 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 Big, one. Big one for all of us. I have so enjoyed just really like floating in the 4 1 energy for the last hour, just relishing this kind of like slower, calmer, deeper pace. So thank you just for spending time with me and giving me that experience. I'll I'll take this with me for the rest of the day. Thank you, ladies. Um, Could you take a moment to share with people where they might be able to connect with you, anything that you're doing currently in your businesses or your work that that people might want to be part of? Tessa, do you want to kick us
2: off? Sure. Best place to find me is Instagram. So I'm at Tess Hayward. And yeah, I work one-on-one with clients generally in the wellness and spiritual space, building their brands or helping them define new program offerings, uh, things like that. And I also make trash cans out of ocean plastic on the side. So you can check that out too. <laughs> oh, <my sister. laughs> oh, and I also
0: do this completely different weird thing. Yep. Yep. Join me in that journey too. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> what about you, Lena?
1: Yeah. You can find me on Instagram as well at underscore Lena Mackey, L E N A M A C K E Y underscore. Um, and yeah, I'm, I've always got spots available for, for coaching and I'm really, um, actually calling in some clients for feminine embodiment and ethical business coaching, um, supporting you to like really get the foundations of your business. Um, ethical. So there's a free masterclass available on my website where I go into what that actually is. If you're curious about that. Yeah. Super
0: cool. I will link all of that below, of course, in the show notes so people can get in touch with you guys and follow along. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me here. This has, this has truly been a privilege to just hang out with a couple of unicorns and um, really soak in everything that you have to say. Um, it's been an honour. So thank you so much for joining us for this podcast episode.
2: It's been so fun. Thanks, Holly.
1: Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for having us.
2: Bye, twin. <laughs> Bye, twin. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hunting for Purpose podcast. I hope that my words, my sharing and the spiritual wisdom that came through today's episode have a magnificently transforming impact on your life.